Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Premier League Preview Show. It's a show that has more footballing knowledge in our bowel movements to what that resides in Big Sam Allardyce's massive head. On today's pod, we're looking ahead to a critical weekend of top flight action. Three days that will have a huge bearing on the end of this season. There's relegation skirmishes, a title scrap and Spurs who are always good for comedy value. In short, there's a lot to get through, so let's get through it with a 93-20 favourite, Joe. Hi, Joe, you there, mate? I am indeed. I am indeed. How are you, Steve? You good? I'm very good. I was just saying to you off air, I'm a bit spaced out because I've just had a nap and I don't have a nap. I don't ever get a chance to have a nap. And um, the opportunity presented itself and, yeah, so I I just feel like I'm a bit half in this world right now. Um, How's things with yourself? Yeah, they're good. They're good. I got back from uh, Germany on Monday. I was also just saying off air, so I'm still like, even though it's not a particularly a long flight, I just always feel like it takes me a bit, a bit of a while to recalibrate. Yeah, uh, back into my normal routine. So I'm just about there now, and I'm looking forward to uh, the weekend's action. And you're hoping to go back as well. Uh, don't rule it out. Yeah, don't rule it out. I might become the German correspondent for the nice <laughs> podcast. I think the Athletic have about twenty. They all seem to be German correspondents. Yeah, that's probably not a good good thing. Then I might actually turn it off. Throwing <laughs> shade, but um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. They've got a, their own fascinating title and relegation race going on at the moment. Mm, is that still? Uh, so it's in Bayern's hands, isn't it? But Dortmund can still do it. They're both playing hot potato with it. Like none of yeah. them want to. Uh, it's like um, City and United when we first won it in 2012. Uh, like no one can clamp it down. I'm hoping there uh, Dortmund can get over the line. But um, I went to the game the other night. Bochum v Dortmund, which actually finished one one, mm. which is why Bayern have now gone top again. But there was a Stonewall penalty at one one that. Um, Dortmund weren't given like a proper Premier League standard clanger. Yeah, like a jo- yeah, John Stones against West Ham kind of clanger. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll discuss this, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was like that level and it wasn't given. So okay. uh, I'm getting a bit of grief off the lads on WhatsApp, etc., for not uh, delivering Bellingham. Seemingly, uh, my missions out there have failed. But mm. You don't know what I've got. Up yeah, I mean, you had one job, mate. One job. <laughs> one job. One job, and I've. Uh, I was going to try and think of a distinctly average German player to use as a pun that I come back with, but I can't think of any, so I'm not even <laughs> going to make, make a fool of myself. But yeah, I, no, I failed. I, I've always found if a, if a player goes to Real Madrid, it just bores me. They're boring, you know what I mean? It's like I've always found them to be quite a shallow club, frankly, and, and all the Galactico here and all the rest of it. And when, so when, when I found out he, he wants to go to Real Madrid, it's like, oh, OK, on your head be it, fair dues, it's just boring. I'm just glad he's not going to a Premier League club. Um, that that would have hurt. Um, but yeah, if, if it's Real Madrid, so what? But there's, there's other fish in the sea. Well, you know my thoughts on these um, state-funded clubs on the continent. Terrible <laughs> for the game. <laughs> Yeah, Franco's boys. Don't um, mention the F word, aren't too late. <laughs> <laughs> They'll do a tweet in a minute, like pointing out why you're a, yeah, a Franco yeah. um a Franco vile. Yeah, yeah, that was all a bit surreal, wasn't it, recently with that. Um right, we have strayed hopelessly from the point which was okay, so let's kind of change the subject and get to the midweek fixtures. Um so nil nil half time. 
there's you in the WhatsApp chat. Just a zen. A zen as Erling Carland sitting on the ground, cross-legged after scoring yet another goal. Um, you were completely calm. You were saying, lads, we're going to win. We're going to score. Why were you so calm? Um, because I, I felt it was a game we've seen plenty of times in like late April, early May over the years in title-running seasons where games are, are tight and touchy specifically when you're playing teams who are you know more towards the bottom of the table um, who are literally just maybe missing a few of their key players they've got 10 men behind the ball they're well organised making your life difficult and I just always back City's experience late on in the game to shine through um, only concern was that we looked a bit leggy in that first half but I still think despite the fact it was far from fluid and it was actually pretty rigid at times we still created enough to, to probably have gone in ahead um, specifically that Rodri chance and, and Mara's had a chance didn't he where he just got onto the edge of the box and the ball's cut across to him I just felt like we'd break them down and grind them down just through sheer experience really I think you're on a hide into nothing if, if you come to the Etihad um, and, and stick 10 men behind the ball for 90 minutes we will catch you out eventually well I mean I'm going to jump forward and then we'll kind of come back so do you think Leeds are going to deploy that strategy? I mean, you'd expect so with, with Allardyce in charge. I think what Allardyce will do, and I can understand why it's been derided in some quarters, and I'm sure we'll touch on his comments, which are, you know, worth <laughs> being derided, but in terms of, like, the decision-making, uh, it makes perfect sense to me in terms of their season comes down to four games. You want someone who's going to make you organised. Um, Javi Gracia, whilst he's, you know, a very capable coach, it clearly hasn't worked in the sense that they've started shipping, you know, Bielsa level goals. Oh yeah. Um and they need someone who's simply gonna put in a structure. I actually listened to a podcast he does with Natalie Pike, uh, yes. which is ironically called uh, No Tippy Tappy Football. <laughs> and mm. he's been a massive um all season on that part a, a massive proponent of the team who can seize the least goals of the team that'll stay up. Um and I think that's what he'll bring to them. I think whilst they don't have probably as much quality as teams around them in that scrap. If you have a manager who can set you up rigidly and get and know how to manage games and when to slow games down and when to play against the crowd and, and, and basically nick things, you've got a much better chance of staying up than maybe some teams who have more, you know, dynamic squads like your forests and yeah. and other teams who are around there. So I mean as you rightly say there, you know, Allardyce is big kind of we're thinking, and this was the same when he was at Everton, was, you know, team who concedes the fewest will likely stay up. With that in mind, I've got a feeling that nothing's going to change if we go 1-0 up, and nothing may even change if we go 2-0 up as well. It's not going to open the game up. I mean, we saw against West Ham, we went ahead. They mm. we kept to the same strategy for a good 10, 15 minutes, but then yeah. they opened up. I, I think Leeds will be thinking, if we come out of this, you know, one nil, two nil. It's not the end of the world because of goal difference. Um, would you go along with that, or is it the case now where they need a point? They need, you know, they need to get something. I mean, it sounds cliche, and it, it's very um, literally it's the definition of cliche, cliche because this is what most people say about the game. But he will just try and stay in it for as long as possible and try and you know nick, nick a set piece. Um, he'll try and shut down the areas we try and play in. Uh, I think they'll be happy with us carrying the ball up to within five, ten yards of the six yard, um, sorry, the, the penalty area. But 
yes, I do think this is this is a, a bonus game for them, a dead rubber. So if they can get out of it with damage limitation, I think you saw that with um, who was it recently that took over a team? Uh, Dean Smith, sorry. Yes, um, at Leicester, yeah. He started against City as well, and mm. I think anything from that game away for a team down there is a bonus. And then mm. you start afresh, so we'll just be looking to kind of experiment and implement some tactics, I imagine, to make life more difficult for us. Yeah, well, looking back on the Hammers game, um, Haaland's record breaking 35th Premier League goal. Um, yes, when you break down his goal scoring attributes, what does he specifically do that is? you know, miles ahead of everyone else. I mean, I've, I've discussed this on the pod before, possibly with Tom. Um, for me, it's all about anticipation and kind of awareness of of movement and just kind of almost like he knows what is going to happen next, which is so intuitive. And you can't, you know, you can't teach that. Um, that's a big part of it for me. What about yourself? Break it down into a couple of areas, really. I think the key thing that I take from watching him is there's never any wasted motion. Um, mm. Everything that he does has an intent, and it's always hurt the opposition and be aggressive, whether it's his movement off the ball, whether it's pinning centre-halves, or indeed even farting on them in the Champions League. It's, um, I think, was it Lam and Not Lam, sorry. Uh, Kimmich said he kept farting against uh, yes. Bayern yeah. Munich. So <laughs> he's just... He's just um, a horrible player to play against but I think obviously what separates him is his he's aggressive in his movement and his forward movement I mean the amount of balls he doesn't get in behind he could probably score even more goals if if we were just literally built to accommodate him 100% and give him the ball every time he made a movement yeah. um, but the other two things are it's that forward step or that backward step in the box when it's crowded it's like a natural instinct that creates a half a yard for him to get a, get a shot off yeah um, and the other thing is, is just ruthlessly, ruthlessly efficient with putting the ball in the back of the net, which is the hardest thing to do in football. Yeah. I, I so. mean, I, I love listening to Lineker and Shearer, particularly Lineker as well, because Lineker really values that kind of, you know, a, a tapping basically. Um, mm. I love so listening. Still, to, isn't it? Yeah, I, I love listening to them talk about Harlem as well and the anticipation, playing the percentages, risk reward. Um, you know, Linux is huge on that, isn't he? And and just you know, when to go for the near post, when to go for the you know, hope the ball comes across. Um, and as you're saying, take that one step forward or one step back. Linux loves highlighting that, doesn't he? On the uh, in the highlights on match of the day, um, and it's a skill in itself, as you say. And Harlan is just, again, it's intuitive. It, you cannot teach that. You know, he's just born with that. It, it's and it's, it's better than anyone else basically there is moments where you see a rebound or a ricochet or the, or the last you know the last man will just kind of it'll come off his body awkwardly and Haaland's there and, uh... and, and it's he's anticipated it hasn't he and he's done so kind of you know a, a good second before any other striker in the world would and that second is crucial at that level so that's a big part of it for me in addition to his physique and his just natural ability as well and his unerring accuracy and his fierce shot and God, he's got it all as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it was Steve McAvaney, um pointed out that he scored 5% of City's goals under Pep, uh, which is pretty easy to work out, to be fair, because we have now scored a 1,000 goals under Guardiola. That's absolutely outrageous, that. Yeah. Both so, stats. Both stats. So, 
Here's a big one for you, Joe. What's the best of a lot? The best of those thousand. Ooh, um, oh, that is very tough. Very, very tough. It's probably Vinny for me. V Lester. Yeah. Um, is that as, as well because obviously the importance of it as well just elevates it, doesn't it? Yeah, probably. I mean, in terms of like aesthetically pleasing goals, one of my favourites was uh, Kevin De Bruyne assist to Sane against Stoke. That's my hundred points season. That's my favourite. Yeah, yeah, that's my best for me. Yeah, yeah. Or indeed, Kevin De Bruyne. I think month later at Stamford Bridge, which is when I realised, I just knew it was like September, and I knew we were going to win the league. You yeah. know, when you just have one of them big games early in the season yeah, against the, the, the reigning champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, one of those. But I mean, there's so many. I mean, if, if you're talking about aesthetically pleasing goals. There's probably like twenty of them in there. That's in contention. Yeah, that you could go from. I think there was one at, um, when when we played Arsenal when there was about ten people there after we beat them in the League Cup final. Yeah, and uh, Sane ended up putting the ball, p rolling it over the line, but there was about oh, twenty thirty passes yeah. before it. I have to put that up over Stoke when I completely forgot about that one. That that was yeah. just. Uh, I had to write a whole article about that goal, and it was such a pleasure to do. What a pleasurable way to spend an afternoon was kind of dissecting that goal. Which just began, you know, many, many kind of moves earlier, didn't it? Kind of down the right hand flank, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd put that up. I'd say about Vinny's goal against Leicester as well. Um, I, I saw it again for the trillionth time recently, and what got me is if you had to draw a cartoon of, of a ball going into a corner of a net, you would have chose that exact point of the goal. Well, it was, yeah. wasn't it? It was absolute beautiful top bins. It was lovely. So, so is that and the Alano free kick v Newcastle for me in terms of like mm. the best placement I've seen of a yeah, ball yeah, yeah. in the top corner. Yeah. If there was a stanchion in the net, it'd have stuck in it, wouldn't it? And and Gundo's uh, not Gundo, sorry, yeah, uh, Mares's penalty as well uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was just absolutely perfect on the inside of the uh, the netting. Um, Will, are you have you are you there? Have you joined us? I am here, mate. After four pairs of headphones, two different laptops, and two phones, <laughs> I am eventually here. Well. Yeah, Will has joined us, everyone. Um, it was supposed to be Will and Joe today, and indeed it is now. So we have the full menu. Um, okay, we were just discussing the greatest goals under Pep Guardiola. Um, There's some good shouts, I have to say. Um, any, any that come to mind for you? Kind of the best goals? Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our contents, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now, or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond. <laughs> 